It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Friday morning, the 14th of April. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. County Mayo is buzzing this morning, preparing to welcome home the 46th President of the United States of America, Joe Biden. People of Ireland, it's so good to be back in Ireland. If you forgive the poor attempted Irish, Tamasha Walia. Back in Ireland, indeed, Joe Biden addressed the Oireachtas yesterday after what has been a successful four-day visit, so far at least, to this country with the President delighting people here in County Louth on Wednesday and his earlier visit to Belfast. Successful, that is, apart from that black and tans gaffe. In the Oval Office, I have the rugby ball signed by the Irish rugby team, the ball the team played when they beat the All Blacks in Dublin in 2021. TDs and senators in the Oireachtas yesterday were reminded of Joe Biden's Irish roots. Together we explored our family history visiting the Cooley Peninsula, where the Finnegan's ancestors earned their living on land and in sea. And walking the streets of Ballina, where my great-great-great-grandfather Blewett lived with his family before relocating in 1851, eventually settling in my hometown of Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yesterday I returned to County Louth, where I toured the Collingford Castle, Likely one of the last glimpses of Ireland my Finnegan ancestors saw as they gazed on their way out in what in those days was referred to as a coffin ship. And they sailed out of Newry in 1850. This is obviously the president who claims to be Irish. The president, Arlene Foster, says hates the United Kingdom. The same president who says the UK government could do more to protect peace on this island. The Good Friday Agreement didn't change, just change lives for the better in Northern Ireland. It has significant positive impact across the Republic of Ireland as well. As the Taoiseach and I have discussed, including last month in Washington and again today, how Ireland and the United States can work together with the United Kingdom and the European Union to support the people of Northern Ireland. I think, I think that the United Kingdom should be working closer with Ireland in this, ever, in this endeavor. Political violence must never again be allowed to take hold on this island. 
President Joe Biden addressing a packed doll chamber where he received a standing ovation from the TDs and senators in attendance. One of uh, those TDs is Sinn Féin's spokesperson on foreign affairs and defence, Matt Carthy, who joins us now. And a very good morning to you, Matt Carthy. Thanks for joining us on the programme today. You're obviously very impressed by the president to have given him a standing ovation. Good morning, Michael. Hello to your listeners. Well, I think when you would have a, a, any foreign leader attending the um, the doll and p- taking their time out of their political schedule to attend Ireland, I think it would be just good manners, if nothing else. But I have to say, I believe that the particular visit of President Joe Biden has been an important and a positive statement, I think, his strong defence of the Good Friday Agreement, the fact that he attended both North and South, demonstrates in many respects the success and the endurance of the peace process. Um, But I think crucially it also exhibits that very strong bond that exists between Ireland and our diaspora across the world and the particular um, affection Mm. that Ireland has in terms of our people in America, described as our exiled children in America in the proclamation, and also the role of the U.S. administration in securing the Good Friday Agreement, but also in terms of upholding it. And I think some of the remarks of President Biden this week in that respect were very helpful. Right. Uh, And uh, all of uh, the Sinn Féin delegation gave uh, the president uh, a standing ovation. Just good manners, you say. Uh, It wasn't because uh, of his Irish identity and how he appears to hate Brits. No, I think there's a genuine warmth um, among the Irish people, and I would share this towards President um, Biden. I think it is a phenomenal story, and we've seen this in a number of cases throughout um, U.S. history, where people who have come from the roots of um, of those who have, were forced um, or who felt they had to leave this country in very dark times um, were to make America their home, were to... Um, <clears throat> see their own um, mm. children or grandchildren. Yeah, but or for, for the most part, those times were hard Atlantic. and dark. For the most part, sorry to cut across, those times were hard and dark because of uh, the Brits. Uh, and uh, I think uh, there's a lot of people who would feel that Arlene Foster hit the nail on the head. Uh, do you think he hates Brits? And is that why you and your Sinn Féin colleagues gave him a standing ovation? Well, let's just be frank about this. I don't hate Brits. Um, and I don't think President Biden does either if for my my well, I think what, what she said was hates the UK uh, and I take it that's uh, the jurisdiction uh, that uh, has led to partition well I don't believe that um, President Biden hates the UK I think um, okay. I think he loves Ireland and I think some people within unionism may okay. see those things as the same but see, I don't, uh, the I don't thing, believe the, the thing I'm wondering uh, uh, that, uh, as Sinn Féin spokesperson on foreign affairs uh, I'm just wondering why Sinn Féin parked its criticism of US foreign policy to give the President uh, a standing ovation and if it wasn't because he hates Brits is it because fundraising in America is so important No, I think you're missing the point entirely, Michael. We had the President of the European Parliament, an institution I was a member of, and an institution which you know that I can often be um, very uh, critical of. Um, We also gave her a standing ovation because, as I say, that's the basis of good manners. When you invite somebody into your home, Mm. you show them a warm Uh, welcome. uh, And Mary Lou MacDonald was... The invite of President Biden to uh, come before the doll to address us. And when he did Mm. so, we gave him a a welcome that I think was only... 
deserving and I think in line with the views um, of the Irish people. And Mary Lou MacDonald wasn't short of plaudits for Ursula von der Leyen when the European Commission President uh, addressed uh, the Oireachtas that time. But there was a lot of criticism uh, of EU foreign policy, if you like, uh, from left-wing TDs, uh, again, which you would have thought would have tied in with uh, Sinn Féin foreign uh, policy, uh, but it wasn't mentioned by your party leader. Uh, and the same TDs yesterday, or quite a number of them, didn't attend the Dáil. Uh, there was no protest protest uh, uh, in any respect from Sinn Féin uh, about US foreign policy. No, because this visit was about Ireland. And, pres- was it? and particularly Yes, it was particularly around the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. I think, by and large, it was a, a very successful um, successful visit. I think it would have been more successful had we had the institutions up and running in the north and we had the opportunity of President Biden to address a full sitting of the mm. Assembly. But that was something that neither he nor Sinn Féin could um, do anything about. Was it not an opportunity to talk about some of uh, the big issues uh, of uh, the day in the world that we live in? I think most people uh, would surprised if Michael D. Higgins, our president, didn't mention uh, the Palestinian situation to Joe Biden. Well, I wasn't privy to any conversation that took place between President Biden and uh, and our own president. Um, I have to say, I didn't get an opportunity to sit down and discuss anything with Joe Biden. Neither mm. did any representative of Sinn Féin. Mary Lou Macdonald held a short uh, meet and greet with him yesterday. But you applauded, you, you applauded his position on Irish neutrality. Yes, I, I don't know where you're going with this, Michael. This is a positive um, event. Sinn Féin constructively engaged, um, as you know, in respect of mm. the American administration because we recognise how important they are to uh, the Irish peace process and how pivotal they have been um, in terms of developing and, and protecting that peace process, particularly during the period of Brexit. Our position in respect of foreign policy, in respect of Palestine or any other issue, hasn't changed because we welcomed um, President Biden. Um, What we are able to do as mature political representatives is deal with each situation and with each issue on its merits and in its own time. What this week was about, above all else, was about ensuring that that very strong bond, as I say, that exists between the Irish people and our diaspora, but also the very important connection that we have with the US administration in terms of our peace process and also our economic development, both north and south, that that is enhanced and supported and that that is, uh, and, and that is um, part of our, our work. And I think um, the visit of President Biden enforce all of those things and okay. I think it was on the whole a very positive uh, a positive visit and I think it's something that um, the Irish people um, got a lift from. I think it can be overstated of course but we know that um, peace and stability and economic opportunity are all connected to the work that not only the Irish and British governments um, have done but also the support that we've received from the US administration and this week was about acknowledging that so, above all else. So has Sinn Féin's policy on neutrality changed or is it just that you park your opinion on that uh, when you're in front of the President of the United States and listen to him tell us what our foreign policy is, what our position on neutrality means and uh, give him a round of applause for it? No, our position on neutrality is that it has served us very well and we want to see not only 
Irish neutrality protected and supported but enhanced and uh, and we want to see our defence forces um, supported so that they can defend our neutrality. Well, let's hear what Joe Biden had to say about Irish neutrality. Ireland pursues an independent course in foreign policy, but it is not neutral between liberty and tyranny, and it never will be. What do you think he meant by that, Matt Carthy? I think he outlined um, very well what our p- position is in respect of neutrality. And actually, um, before he, those particular words, he actually also quoted John F. Kennedy from his visit right. in 1963, mm. which also acknowledged Ireland's foreign policy and independent foreign policy, which I think is a cornerstone, which allows us to do the things um, that you've referenced in terms of having good positive relationships with the US government, but also having very strong positions in respect of supporting oppressed peoples across the, the world and playing a very positive role in terms of peace building and in terms of um, peace monitoring um, through our work with UN forces. And I think that's something that should be protected um, at all costs in many respects. But we're not neutral between um, liberty uh, and tyranny. Yes, so there's a distinction between military neutrality and political neutrality, which I think sometimes gets blurred. Military neutrality means we aren't aligned to any military blocks and we don't intervene in active um, conflicts. But that doesn't mean that we don't take a position in respects of international conflicts. And in respect of the war in Ukraine, for example, (coughs) we are very clear as a country, and I think virtually all political opinion Mm. is clear that the aggressors in this instance are the uh, are the, the Russian government led by Vladimir Putin um, and that their actions are unacceptable and that their, their actions are in breach of international And that it's become a proxy war with Russia and America and indeed the European Union and the President praised Ireland's role in all of that and indeed the alliance that we have with the European Union in terms of fighting the Russians. Well, and but... Michael, and I'm sure you understand this, the distinction between being involved in the military operations as opposed to supporting measures such as sanctions, whether supporting measures such as humanitarian aid, whether it's supporting um, those people who are fleeing the war um, in, term, in, in terms of finding new mm. homes or um, temporary homes or whatever the case may be, um, and in terms of providing financial humanitarian assistance to the Ukrainian people. Um, they, all of those things um, are perfectly compatible with our military neutrality, which so, means we don't intervene actively in military conflicts. Is Ireland a military country if it sends uh, a neutral country, if it sends uh, military helmets uh, to the troops uh, in Ukraine, or if it sends blood to the battlefields? Well, listen, there's a big debate that needs to happen in terms of how we deal with, uh, how we mm. deal with these type of conflicts. And I know there are lots of Irish people who have concerns in respect of how um, how particular military aid might be seen. But as this is the thing. They thought that Sinn Féin held those concerns, uh, but you were uh, applauding this position that the President articulated yesterday, the same position that has been articulated by Fianna Fáil, the same position that has been articulated by Fianna Gael, the same position that's going to lead to this so-called Consultative Forum on International Security Policy, which has the objective of dropping Ireland's neutrality, doesn't it? 
It does, um, and I don't think there's any um, th- there's any doubt ab- about that because rather than establishing a citizens' assembly on neutrality, um, as had previously been indicated, the government instead want to have you know a hand-picked group of what they call military experts and okay, academics. Ma- ma- maybe I didn't frame the question properly, but it sounds to me that this morning you're singing off the same hymn sheet. Well, I'm not, because what I want to see is our neutrality protected and enhanced, allowing Ireland to play a constructive role in advancing peace and justice across the world, because Irish neutrality not only allows us to play a more constructive role in, at an international level, it also keeps Irish um, citizens safer. And we okay. have had over 20 years of undermining neutrality by stealth. Instead of using our position of neutrality as, a, a, you know, as an opportunity to strengthen mm. um, the, uh, um, the role that we can, can play, what we have actually done is on simultaneously we now have government representatives saying that we need to be able to involve ourselves in some military conflicts while at the same time bizarrely actually running down our own defence forces mm. to a point that they're actually at So, respect. So, so if Sinn Féin's official policy is that we are not neutral between liberty and tyranny, what does it mean if uh, the tyrants are on the attack? If, if we're not neutral, how do we respond? Because we respond through dip- diplomacy, through actually... No, no, you, you agree with Joe Biden. We're not neutral but, uh, when it comes uh, to liberty uh, versus tyranny. So if the tyrants are on the attack uh, and we are not neutral, surely we defend ourselves or, or, or we uh, attack back. OK, well, first of all, we're not under attack and there's no suggestion that we are under attack. And, it, and, in, and to be quite frank about it, we don't have defence forces at the moment that would be capable of protecting Ireland in the event of any attack. And one of the first things we need to do... But, is but the, 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 the point, the point remains the same. You agree that Ireland is not neutral between liberty and tyranny? I've answered this question, Michael. There's a distinction between military neutrality and political neutrality. Being military neutral does not mean that you don't take a position on international um, conflicts. Um, Clearly we do. I don't Um, think the president made that distinction. Well, I believe he did, and I because and I believe that the position on neutrality is very clear. Um, on the, although it has been clouded, I have to say, by the decisions of successive governments over the past twenty years. And what I want to see us coming to a point is where our position and our definition on neutrality is crystal clear, not only for from an Irish political perspective, but for the world to see. Because I think our position in respect of neutrality is one that has served us well. It is one that has given us um, a huge esteem and respect in the world that has allowed us to play positive roles in actually resolving conflicts which should be our primary objective in all of these instances and it allows us to take positions that are aligned to the US when it comes to Ukraine and t- allows us to take independent and differential positions when it comes to conflicts such as that in which the Palestinian people are suffering under an Israeli apartheid regime. That was what an independent party, and that is what political um, um, military neutrality means. It means we can take these independent positions and we can have the same positions as some countries on some issues and we can take different positions and advocate for different positions on other issues. Okay, Matt, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you, as always, for joining us on the programme today. That's Matt Carthy, who's Sinn Féin's spokesperson on Foreign Affairs and Defence. 
Well, as you heard, Sinn Féin doesn't uh, disagree with uh, President Joe Biden's interpretation of Irish neutrality. Let's uh, find out uh, what the Irish anti-war movement uh, thinks of what Mr Biden had to say. Mark Price is its co-chair and a member of its steering committee and one of the founders of the Irish Neutrality League. He's on the line. Mark, uh, we'll just hear once again what the president said to the Oireachtas yesterday. Ireland pursues an independent course in foreign policy, but it is not neutral between liberty and tyranny. And it never will be. Not neutral between liberty and tyranny and never will be. What do you make of that, Mark Price? It's a lovely piece of rhetoric, Michael. Um, you know, but, but who, who could say, who, who among us will say we support tyranny? Well, some, some might, but uh, as a, in, in, this, in this context, of course, this is very easy to say, um, liberty and, and tyranny. Um, uh, the point is that this war is much more complicated than that. And the, uh, the question of democracy and neutrality uh, is a very complex one. And the vast majority of people in Ireland want us to be neutral. But they also want Ireland to support, uh, in some general sense, the Ukrainian cause against the Russian aggression. And none of this, this is all very good and very noble. Um, and it's great to see the support for the Ukrainians. But the question of democracy and neutrality is very easily glossed over by the president in a statement like this because it's much more complicated. Not only do the vast majority of people, Irish people want to remain neutral, but the vast majority of Ukrainians, when last polled in the election of Zelensky in 2019, um, elected him on an overwhelming mandate to get rid of corruption and to go back to the negotiation table which the Ukrainian parliament had agreed to do in 2014, if you remember, mm. um, and which was sabotaged by extremists on both sides, on the Russian and on the Ukrainian side. And, and Zelensky, since 2019, and this is just a matter of, you can read this up in various sources, but he receives no support internationally to hold the line against the extremists on his own side. And, and this is very like what's going on in America today, when <clears throat> last year um, certain uh, Democratic representatives known as progressives signed a petition to ask Biden to go and pursue, pursue peace in Ukraine. They were moved out of it. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, they were told this was out of order. This is not the time to talk about peace. Mm. Um, uh, and there, and there's, already, there's already a question about Ireland's neutrality, as we were discussing a few moments ago. If we're sending uh, army helmets uh, to the troops and blood to the battlefields and so on. Uh, but the question of neutrality obviously doesn't just relate to Ukraine. And the president was speaking in general terms that we are not a neutral country. Uh, he definitively said Ireland is not a neutral country uh, between liberty and tyranny. Now, we heard from Matt Carthy that could mean cyber security and all of that but uh, I didn't hear any distinction in the President's comments uh, and he went on then to Dublin Castle uh, and said uh, that when there's problems in the world uh, the Irish won't be left wanting we can perhaps hear a little bit of that now So today wherever there is a yearning for freedom a struggle for change a cry for justice people around the world know they can count on Ireland they can count on Ireland they can count on Ireland if there's a cry for justice. Uh, but you think that these comments are coincidental in that in June we're going to start this discussion on neutrality, this forum on international security policy. 
No, they're not. And um, obviously Biden, uh, Biden's speechwriters have been briefed by top, top officials, as they say, in government, whose agenda we know now, you and I have discussed it before, um, these proposed forums that uh, Micheál Martin is going to convene um, we know what the agenda of the leaders of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have been um, so far because of what they've been doing in the last number of years in relation to Irish military involvement in European, European defence groups and, and other things. Um, so they, they want increased military spending. Uh, they want Ireland to become militarily integrated. Um, and they keep making these fine distinctions between military neutrality and non-alignment and so on and so on. On. Um, there's, a, there's, there's clearly an agenda here, and Biden is his speechwriters, and he himself have rolled in uh, behind this mm. agenda. And you can't argue. Going back to my first point, you yeah. can't argue in a debate between liberty and tyranny. You know, this, yeah. No one can argue that. Uh, are, 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 are you for tyranny or against? <laughs> I'm against. Sorry, I should be clear. Yes, exactly. I'm completely against tyranny, but this—that's a way of throwing up a rhetorical device. You know what I mean by that? I do. It's making a it's making a false opposition. This is a really complex thing. Let me just refer one, to one thing, if I may. Um, going back to the the Minsk Accord, the serious attempt that was made ten, almost ten years ago to resolve this crisis in Eastern Ukraine. Um, and Merkel, who's hardly a radical, uh, you know, lefty, mm. um, Merkel, this is on Wikipedia, Angela Merkel says, when somebody said to her, as they went back in to try and resurrect the Minsk agreement in early 2015, um, somebody said, why are you bothering? It's clearly not going to work. And, and she said, it's either this or the continued American armament of Ukraine and that this is not going to produce any positive results okay. um, and this is the truth Alright, well, uh, there were interesting comments uh, we'll see uh, if uh, they make up part of the argument as we go forward to have uh, this uh, debate on neutrality are, are you for tyranny or, or not maybe one of the questions, it may not be Mark, we'll leave it there for the moment though and thank you indeed for joining us once thanks, again on the programme Mark is the co-chair of the Irish Anti-War Movement Steering Committee and one of the founders of the Irish Neutrality League let's uh, take some of uh, the comments uh, that uh, have been coming to us uh, we'd uh, John and Navin talking about that baby who you probably saw on the telly in Joe Biden's arms. He, he says uh, that child uh, that Biden nursed will be having nightmares for the rest of her life, especially when she finds out she was being nursed by a war criminal. Uh, Mary says, Michael, did you get out of the wrong side of the bed this morning? Take the positives and stop stirring the pot. Robbie says he wasn't around Parnell Street or Talbot Street or Morris Street. This is President Biden. Why, asks Robbie. He says it's because all of our so-called TDs would be ashamed of our homeless people. Uh, he was deterred around them. There was a lot of upset as well as homeless people being moved out of uh, the Phoenix Park uh, because uh, the president uh, was visiting our president. Uh, Claren County Mead says, Good morning, Michael. Friday can be funny. The president spoke in the doll yesterday. He spoke. No questions were allowed. Michael, where was Mick Wallace and Claire Daly yesterday? Were they in China? Uh, call those two, uh, would you please? Uh, thank you indeed. Uh, they're not members of the doll, obviously, uh, Claire. Uh, but thank Thanks uh, for that. Uh, Michael, I hope some of uh, those politicians who were nodding their heads in agreement with what Joe Biden said yesterday in relation to honesty and public office took it on board, says another listener. Some of them should have stayed away, including uh, some of our local TDs. Uh, thank you indeed uh, for that Navin listener who has been in touch with us uh, this morning. If you'd like to make comments yourself, 0419832000, text or WhatsApp.
WhatsApp 086 1800 658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's look back on the week. It's been a long week and it's a week that is far from over with our political correspondent, Sean Defoe, uh, who has obviously been looking in his crystal glass uh, recently. And I think a lot of the things you've been predicting on Twitter uh, have come through. Tell us about Biden's bingo uh, on the Sean Defoe Twitter account. Yes, this was something I created to keep me sane this week in the holding pens that you have to be in for uh, for all these points. So to peel back the curtain, uh, as if anyone feels sorry for any of the journalists anyway, but you have to be there so far in advance with all the security and everything. For example, for the speech today, we're being asked to show up seven hours in advance to set up uh, just to get through all the security and all the logistics and all that. So I needed something to keep me sane, and that birthed Biden bingo, where I created 25 things that I thought were going to happen during this trip. Uh, for Joe Biden. Uh, and we've ticked it, most of them off. The majority are gone. Nine squares heading into the final day of Biden bingo. Some of them were fairly obvious, like, you know, quote, uh, quote, Shamatini, quote, Yates, uh, predicted some of the newspaper headlines, like no show, like the Joe show, and people were Biden their time, uh, stuff like that. Um, other ones haven't come true. I thought I was going to get uh, that Joe Biden has a 99, because I had it on very good intel. He was going to go into an ice cream shop in Dundalk, but unfortunately the weather wash that one away but it is nice and sunny today mm-hmm. uh, here in Ballina so I'm going to keep my fingers crossed there's a few more uh, 10 mentions of the, his bluet cousins were on 8 so I'm fairly confident we're going to take that one off another one for today uh, gets gifted a Mayo jersey surely that's got to happen at Knock Airport mm-hmm. they absolutely have to uh, if he says Mayo for Sam that's another one over the line uh, and the one the one, the two that I'm not very confident on one is that he meets a donkey at some point I thought there was maybe a, a Banshees <laughs> of Inishir and Jenny tie in there mm-hmm. uh, and the other one is, has a, a plaza named after him. We might have to wait a little bit while for that one to happen, for there to be the Biden plaza as well as the Obama plaza. But I would have you note that on the way from Dublin to uh, Ballina, Kinnegad plaza is nicely placed there somewhere in the middle. So who knows, maybe we'll get there. If you had mentioned the slitter, I'd have been asking you for the lotto numbers. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very good. People can look at it on Sean Defoe's Twitter page, uh, and it really is very good. And in many ways, it highlights how predictable, to some degree, this visit has been uh, and uh, that's a, a very interesting point in itself but there's been a, a lot of surprises and some very good speeches uh, but I'm not sure uh, if you'd agree Sean that as time went on it seems like the, it's been forever at this stage uh, the speeches uh, started to get a bit repetitive almost predictive predictable well I've, I've found it almost double because a lot of what has happened and been said in some of the speeches are the stuff that he said in the St. Patrick's Day speeches last month and in the St. Patrick's Day speeches the year before there's sort of you know five or six stories that he, he tells and they're very heartfelt stories I'm not denigrating them at all you know they're, mm. they're, they're stories of his family and stories of his Irish connections and all that sort of stuff but you know once you've heard them five times they sort of lose a little bit of the impact on him and some of them he did tell uh, again and again some of the ones that he said in uh, in the Windsor Bar in, in Loud he repeated in the Dáil yesterday and you wonder where he go now for the hat trick and say them for a third time today <laughs> so there is a there is an element to that but also like mm. it's it's really enjoyable I've actually enjoyed it a little bit more than I thought I would because you can see very clearly how much Joe Biden is enjoying this like just mm. pure on having a ball really really enjoying it like the time in Loud he had an absolute ball and in the Dáil yesterday he was in fantastic humour and you have to sort of remind yourself every so often this is an 80 year old man you know who is getting ready gearing up 
possibly, probably for an election campaign uh, over the next while and appealing, I suppose, to the Irish audience. And listening to some of the American commentators, actually, they've been wondering whether this trip is actually a little bit of an audition for that ahead of announcing his formal candidacy next month, showing that he still has that vigour, he can still go out and get on the trail and do it. Uh, and that's energy he is desperately going to need if he wants to have a second one at the, at the Oval. Yeah, John was texting us earlier about the baby yesterday. Uh, was that one of uh, the Biden bingo predictions? <laughs> because <sighs> It was. Meet the baby, photo with a baby was on there, all right. I didn't think it would come in the door, though. I thought it would come in a crowd and someone had handed a baby. But this was uh, Labour Senator Rebecca Moynihan who had her daughter, Margot, only eight weeks ago. By far the youngest. Not the only baby. I think there's a baby up in the, ga- uh, the gallery as well. It was mm. crying a little bit during the speech. But the uh, far, by far the youngest member of the crowd yesterday and uh, you know Joe Biden singled her out for some for some applause at the start and also apologised to baby Margaret that she has to listen to a policy speech from a US president at just uh, eight weeks old but she was very good during it and afterwards got this fantastic photo it's on a load of the front pages of the papers this morning and uh, I was talking to Rebecca Moynihan yesterday and it's just what a, what a moment that you know baby Margot is going to have she's had these photos on the mantelpiece and uh, can be dying mm. out on that story for the rest of her life even though she had no idea obviously what was going on Alright uh, there were some serious parts uh, to his speech yesterday uh, we spent a lot of time already talking about neutrality uh, he also uh, alluded to the corporation uh, tax rates that are paid in this country yeah, so I suppose he kind of quoted uh, JFK directly in the door from JFK's door address back when he was here many, many moons ago, uh, and speaking about how Ireland, though militarily neutral and not uh, not aligned in that sense, was never neutral in the face of tyranny, and that was the, you know what he was saying and what indeed our politicians have been getting at over the last while since Russia invaded Ukraine. Also praised Ireland for accepting the global corporation tax deal, one that was so controversial for a long time that we'll give up our 12.5% rate for the very, very large multinationals for those with a turnover of more than 750 million euro. That probably actually having a less impact in the deal than the other part of it that's going to redistribute some of those taxes back to where they're generated in other parts of Europe, which could cost Ireland between 2 and 4 billion euro a year in the fullness of, of time. Uh, but he thought it was interesting. Uh, the mm. line I kind of liked particularly from the speech was because all of the stories he's been telling about it grandparents and great-grandparents and all that sort of stuff. And Biden said in the middle of the speech that quite often he thinks the focus is too much on the past when it comes to Ireland, that particularly in Irish America they talk about those past roots and aren't looking enough at the relationship that Ireland and the US can have together going into the future. And said the two countries working together, anything is possible. And brought up that stat that I just find remarkable every single time I hear it, that Ireland is now the ninth biggest investor into the United States when it mm. comes to foreign direct investment, which is totally crazy for uh, an island of our side. Isn't it just, uh, I wasn't too comfortable when he was talking about the past uh, and he spoke about De Valera and Michael Collins. Yeah, look, he brought up quite a lot of the past and there was the, those sort of echoes of the past and it, it's a strange one, you know, even particularly with the, the kind of characters that were in the door when you're looking about the conversation we're having in context of 25 years of Good Friday and sitting up uh, row in a row next to each other were some of our former Tishi, including Andy Kenny, Bertie Hearn, uh, and Jerry Adams. And when Joe Biden actually left the stage and when the cameras stopped rolling, he gave a big hug to Andy Kenny, but also a big hug to Jerry Adams. And, you know, in, in this time when he has obsessed unionists, obviously, we can clearly see that by Harding Boss's comments the last couple of days and Sammy Wilson saying that he hates, uh, hates the United Kingdom and, and hates Protestants. But, you know, that sort of embracing to even think that that would have been possible 25 years ago mm. is still a little bit mad and sort of has all these questions because by and large, 
we've dealt with as a country or we've just moved on from by the, the marches of time the scars of the civil war as evidenced by the fact that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are in coalition mm-hmm. together but those scars that are there from Good Friday are much fresher even 25 years mm-hmm. on and I thought it was interesting that he's trying to be conciliatory in the speeches but it, it's still very much there. But the idea that his dad said to him he should have followed in the footsteps of De Valera rather than the military man who got shot I, I thought it was a bit dodgy. Yeah, well, it was sort of, it was one of those those moments that, you know, at the time, the connotation, certainly in the doll, the, the mood was sort of more humorous with how they, they took it, you know, yeah. that he, was be, he was being told to... <laughs> or else they weren't letting on. <laughs> or else they weren't letting on, but certainly there were giggles across the, the yeah. TD benches that they were taking it as sort of, you know, be, be the guy who leads afterwards and don't be the guy, uh, the guy that gets shot. But, you know, not the only controversial comments he's made and look it, it's the nature of Joe Biden you know you saw it with the Black and Tans comments mm. and there were other moments during different speeches I mean there was a moment in Belfast where he was quoting a story and he said repeatedly several times he goes what's the difference between a, a Catholic and a Protestant what's the difference between a Catholic and a Protestant and you were just sort of had your head in your hands going <laughs> please don't add another line to this please yeah. don't mm. go there and mm. thankfully he didn't he continued mm. on a different line but that is Joe Biden as well you know he's mm. sort of a little bit gas prone and a little bit liable to say anything perhaps more so than uh, more recent, more polished politicians. But a very clear, considered statement made to the UK government to do more about protecting peace on this island. Yeah, given how conciliatory and gentle he was in the speech in Ulster, that was definitely the strongest nod that he didn't think the UK government uh, was doing quite enough to preserve peace and to ensure the preservation of peace. And again, hammering home that message and saying all week that it's not guaranteed. We got it through Good Friday. Uh, It is there. Good Friday was never a sure thing to happen. And it is still fragile as much as we've moved on. So that was sort of a shot across the bow of the UK. Uh, And you wonder, will he go maybe a small bit step further each day? He's been getting further away from Belfast. He's Mm. been going that little bit further. So you just wonder, does he have that little more to say? Because certainly at the start of the week, given the comments from Marion Foster and others, he was very considerate. He was talking for the first time I've ever heard him speak of his English relatives, which very much goes uh, goes under the radar in the, the Irish context. So mm-hmm. it would be interesting to see whether he goes any further. But I get the sense very much, Michael, that today, uh, today is going to be a hoolie. Today yeah. is his Joe Joe Biden's party day in Ballina and his, uh, his college green moment. Kind crack and coal and uh, probably just happy kind at that without offending anybody. You're off to Ballina. I'm sure we'll be hearing your reports through the day and we'll be watching to see uh, if those outstanding boxes in Biden's bingo gets ticked off. Sean, thanks a million as always. That's thanks, our political Michael. correspondent, Sean Defoe. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, if you were watching uh, the coverage of uh, Joe Biden's visit on RTE television yesterday, you probably know that uh, the station didn't break to take the Angelus, uh, as it always does at six o'clock. This led to the Humanist Association of Ireland suggesting that the Angelus be dropped from RTE television at six o'clock and indeed in general from RTE broadcast. Let's speak to a member of the Oireachtas Committee on Media, Fianna Fáil Senator Shane Castles, who is on the phone. And a very good morning to you, Senator, and thanks for joining us. Uh, Obviously, RTE enjoys the licence money to produce its programmes and indeed the Angelus for that matter. Is it a a good value for money uh, to use it in the way that it does on the Angelus? Good morning, uh, Michael. Um, I find it a strange one um, from the Humanist Association um, calling it for it to be dropped altogether uh, because it's very much a moment of of reflection and and RT have over time changed the 
Angeles um, to be more reflective of a very diverse society in Ireland. I mean, it's probably been around 15 years now since uh, religious icons were actually used as part of the Angelus imagery and it's now one which shows people in different parts of the country at work or leisure and taking a moment then to pause. Yeah, it belongs to the 1950s, doesn't it? No, and I I, I think there's a broader question here now as well um, for society in terms of the motivation of this, in terms of do we want a period of reflection in a world where I think we, we need that or do we want nothingness? A, a, a period of reflection or a, a moment of deference? Yeah, and again, as I said, this is, this is something I've seen in, in other aspects. So in the Dáil, for example, where there's a morning prayer every morning before business is commenced, in the last term, there was a big campaign by people before profit and others to do away uh, with the prayer that it was, you know, not reflective of society today. Yeah. And um, well, it's there, not, was is discu- it? there, there was discussions and a compromise was reached that there would be a moment of uh, silence after the prayer to reflect those of all faiths and none. And as I said, some politicians from... What are you doing office, praying in the dark, for God's led, sake? Led, led, led this campaign. What are, you doing, praying in, what are you doing praying in the doll? Would you not say your prayer somewhere else if you're that way inclined and go into the doll and uh, think about running the country? Uh, they, they, they got that moment of silence and then they never showed up again. So, I mean, you know, really, I think we're, we're, we're leading to a scenario where... Um, you know, it's it's nearly you can't offend anybody, and 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 to do away with something that I think um, most people in the country actually uh, still want. Michael, there was actually a poll conducted by Red Sea in respect of this, and sixty eight percent of respondents said they wanted it kept. Sixty eight percent, twenty one percent said they didn't, and eleven percent said they had no opinion. But sixty eight percent of people uh, saying they wanted the Angelus retained is a a very sizable uh, majority. And I think it reflects as well. I mean, I know when I was growing up, um, you know, when the Angelus came on at six o'clock, my, my mother would have given out the Angelus every yeah. evening. We were called into the room. I, w- I would have responded. Now, there, I don't think that probably happens anymore. There is a question over how people. reflective that poll was, though, because uh, that was taken from an exit poll uh, uh, from people who had voted in the presidential election. It's not necessarily reflective of all of uh, the people in the country. Uh, I, I take it uh, that... Uh, the It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 30 or 40% of people who didn't vote uh, may fall into a totally different category. Well, I mean, again, Michael, um, as, as is the case with actually elections, you know, Decisions are made by those who do turn up. Uh, you're right, it was taken as an exit poll. Those exit polls have shown to be very, very uh, accurate within the margins of error. I think it's a fair reflection of where people stand. I think it's good that there's going to be, you know, maybe like this conversation this morning, people talking about it. I'm giving my own opinion that I believe that people do uh, wish to see it retained. Uh, I know that um, when I would be in the office in the morning and, and, and the one on, on Radio 1 comes on at 12, you know, it, it is a moment where you, where you pause. As I said, it's probably changed over the years from when I was a kid. Mm. And as I said, we would have actually been brought into the room. The answers would have been given out. I'm not too sure how many people do it anymore. Mm. But I, I still believe uh, that in a, in a crazy world uh, where maybe um, it's, it's, it's something where people pause. By the way, other stations actually do it but just in a non-religious way. CNN, take, every evening you will see it on CNN, they will do like a 30 seconds of calm because they realise people's brains are frazzled. Um, you know, I think a moment of reflection, a moment of pause is something that in a world gone mad mm. is maybe something, and for those of a Catholic faith, it is important. Well, the, the, yeah. country, the country is still predominantly well, there's plenty of ways. There, well, there's plenty of ways uh, of professing your faith, uh, and I'm not sure that the country is predominantly Catholic. I know the census will reflect that, but a lot of people it, would it, think it that that's because that's the only way that you can get a, a place for your child in a school. As a member of the Oireachtas Committee on Media, would you not think uh, that there's a question as to why RTE gets licence fee uh, exclusively or more or less exclusively from people who, who sometimes don't even watch RTE uh, and if they do would object to the likes of uh, this going hand and love bowing in deference to the Catholic Church, uh, a holy 50s uh, type of uh, approach to broadcasting, uh, very much uh, I think reflected by programmes like the Late Late Show and uh, some of this other dark age stuff that they do put on. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's any um, 1950s um, it, it, uh, as you're characterising it there, Michael, as I said, the actual the, the religious icons and the religious element was actually removed from it around 15 years ago. Uh, so I don't think that's uh, a case in terms of the licence fee. The Angelus is the uh, Angelus. You, you, you couldn't get anything more uh, religious than the Angelus. Uh, there's three bells uh, and then three bells and then three bells and then nine bells uh, and that's what they do. It's a, a Catholic ringing of the bells to reflect uh, on uh, Jesus Christ. Absolutely. It's 100% a Catholic and I'm saying that over years it has changed as well. In terms of the licence fee, uh, you're 100% right. There is a debate ongoing actually within our committee. We've represented some RTE coming in next Wednesday. Uh, it's something that they want to see uh, addressed as well. Um, we've had representatives from independent radio stations coming in as well. Uh, we've had people coming in from Virgin Media and others. So it is a debate that's, that's ongoing. And I think we do need to see re- reform because there's literally tens of millions of euro being lost every year anyway. 
uh, in terms of the collection of the fee so that the manner in which it's collected and the manner in which it's operated uh, does need reform uh, but that's a wider debate and in respect of this particular issue uh, it's good there's a debate about it but I still believe that it has a place in Irish society and I don't think we have to get to a situation where we throw literally uh, the baby out of the bathwater and get rid of every aspect of society, especially by characterising it something as like 1950s or something. Like that was a completely horrendous period in Irish history or that the Catholic Church had no positive role um, in, in this country when in fact they did and had a hugely positive role and maybe picked up the slack where huge parts of the state uh, were failing for decades and didn't do it uh, and they went and did the job and you talk about Catholic patronage of schools without the Catholic Church maybe a lot of uh, areas wouldn't have had that and they filled the gap where the state weren't fulfilling their role that's changing now and the converse is happening Uh, and I think but in doing so I don't think that you know one section of society should get kind of categorised or demonised for the role that they played Okay Uh, I'm a little bit surprised to Uh, hear what you've said Uh, you you don't believe uh, that the influence the Catholic Church had on Irish thinking was negative uh, that they get bad press I'm after saying quite clearly that I think that sometimes they get bad they get bad press and as if they had had done nothing positive uh, within I think the the ills of the institution of the church uh, have been very very well documented Um, the negative impact from child sex abuse from other aspects uh, that uh, they failed uh, terribly and have been very well documented mm. and has had a detrimental impact as well. But forget about the obvious. For, forget as, about as the obvious. But forget about the obvious ones: the mother in homes, uh, the child sexual uh, mm. uh, abuse, the hypocrisy, and all of that. But the burn in hell message uh, that was given to people if uh, they put uh, a, a foot wrong. Uh, really impacted on the way that people lived in in this country. Uh, And this country was uh, really held back for decades, was it not, because of uh, that teaching and the dominance uh, of power that the Catholic Church had in this country. But again, I I think, Michael, that, you know, you can characterise things in one way. I'm saying... You asked me about my reflections in the church. I think the church equally have had a very positive impact in the country as well. And we could debate all day and all morning about the role of the church. But I do see a church that has changed massively. I saw it all of last week and Holy Week as well mm. with the crowds of people in my own town. Okay, but take, contracep- for take, con- take contraception, for example. Women having 10 babies and priests coming down to them and asking them why they weren't having babies or uh, women being raped by their husbands going to a priest who would be telling them that's your role. Yeah, and I'm after saying quite clearly to you, Michael, that there are um, huge ills within the institution of the church in the past and the manner in which business is conducted. But I'm telling you all equally mm. that if you're going to have a debate, well, then the very positive role of the church in education, in sport in, in, and in other aspects mm. of life, but, where if there wasn't the institution of the church... And I get that. That's what I'm saying to you. No, and, I, and, 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 and I, I get that, but I suppose just to, to bring it to a, a, a conclusion, what I'm asking you is that whilst you're reflecting on those positivities mm. as the Angelus bells ring, uh, would it not concern you that other people are upset and offended at the sound of those bells because of what it means to them. 
And I, and I, that's the point that I think we're having in a debate in terms of then, do we go to a scenario where we just have nothingness? We just do away with every aspect of society. And we've seen this in the cancel culture in other countries as well, that to maybe have a scenario of appeasement, we just do away with everything. I think we have a situation where you have an honest debate. We've, we've seen the leaders of the church, including the Pope, come out and apologise for the things that have been done and caused extreme hurt and extreme pain to so many, many people. But equally so, I think that in a world where people are looking for solace and faith, and you saw it again last week in terms of Holy Week and the people that are still uh, going to profess their faith, that there is, and as you said, you're quite right, the census will reflect it, there is still a deep sense of faith and Christianity in this country, and long may it continue. Okay, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much uh, indeed. Thank you, Michael. Much appreciate that. That's uh, Fianna Fáil Senator Shane Castles, who's a member of uh, the Oireachtas Committee on Media. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, we're going to hear a message uh, that is specifically aimed at the county councillors in Louth. If uh, the members of uh, the local authority in County Louth are listening, uh, this particular item uh, that we're going to discuss uh, is a direct appeal to you in advance of the council meeting, which is uh, to take place on Monday. Now, to help understand this, or for our listeners to understand it, I'm going to begin with reading a letter. And oddly enough, this comes from the Lord Mayor of Dublin, Caroline Conroy. It's a letter that she's written to the provincial leader of the Christian Brothers, Brother David Gibson. As I say, I'll just read a bit of this letter from the Lord Mayor to Brother Gibson. And it says that at the April monthly City Council meeting, the members debated and agreed the following motion. That this council calls upon the leadership of the Christian Brothers European province to ensure all victims of child sexual abuse perpetrated by members of their religious order are treated in a just and Christian manner. The present litigation strategy of the order and highlighted by RTE primetime and former Chief Justice Frank Clark is a form of double and secondary abuse which requires victims of sexual abuse including child rape, child oral rape, whipping, etc., who are seeking civil court reparations to potentially have to deal with over 160 different defendants and law firms, some of whom are outside of the state, and to serve summonses on all elderly order members, members of the Christian Brothers, over 160 members, with an average age of 80 years. Again, many of them outside of the state and most of whom are innocent of any wrongdoing. The Council further calls on the Christian Brother leadership to appoint one single lead representative for all order member defendants which will have to negate effect on their right to defend themselves in court. As I say, that's a, a letter that has been sent to the leader of uh, the the provincial leader of the Christian Brothers, Brother David Gibson, by the Lord Mayor of Dublin, Caroline Conroy. Now, let's see why this is important to councillors in County Louth, uh, because Damien O'Farrell is with us once again. Damien is an independent councillor on Dublin City Council, but he featured very strongly in that primetime programme that we heard about and was uh, abused by a number of Christian brothers and has been representing uh, child sexual abuse victims at the hands of Christian brothers uh, and he's here today to do exactly that once uh, again. Uh, Good morning to you Damien and thank you for coming in to us once again and uh, tell us why you want to speak to the councillors in Louth. 
Yeah, good morning, uh, Michael. I suppose my primary reason here is to uh, support uh, Councillor Maeve Yor. She's shown courage and she's shown empathy for victims. I wrote to the uh, the Mayor of Drogheda last uh, last October and the Mayor of Louth and I, I wanted them really to take to consider taking the freedom away from uh, Edmund Garvey. And I'll come to that in a minute and I'll, I'd like to explain to your listeners what this has got to do with Drogheda. What's this got to do with Louth? But the response I got, they, they weren't interested in taking uh, the freedom away from him, which is fair enough, but they wouldn't meet me. And they ignored um, a letter that I wrote to them about explaining all this. Now, when I wrote to them in, in October originally, I set everything out, everything that was in the primetime programme. They had that in advance of that, everything. But there didn't seem to be any empathy for victims. There was certainly no empathy for me. It's hard work, this whistleblowing. Uh, on It takes a toll on your family, on, on your own life. But there was no empathy. It's easy to... Um, go to, uh, uh, you know, handshaking events and sort of, and talk about that you're you're supporting victims and we support the rape crisis centre and all that. But when victims come to you and ask you to take action, it's easy then, you know, people then just run for the, they run for the trees, you know, they, they don't they don't want to take any action. And I'd like to, if you give me a second, I'd like to explain to you what's this got to do with Drada? Yeah. What's this got to do with Loud? Please do. Well, one in four victims, one in four, there's a charity one in four. So one in four people in Ireland have, have experienced sexual abuse or rape or with various different types. That's men, women, children. One in four. So that's people in Louth and people in, in Drada. That's people, one in four. And the role of public reps is to stand up. We have a duty of care. All the public reps in Louth and in Drada have a duty of care to those victims. So they stand up for those victims when they're, when they're required, when they're asked to do so. There was a civic honour given to this man, Edmund Garvey, in 1997. Uh, it was, he was given freedom of um, freedom of Drada. Mm. Now, he is the person that presided over this uh, litigation strategy that you mentioned. He presided over it and he had responsibility for its introduction. The book stopped with him. And I asked the council, would they consider withdrawing that freedom from him until such time as he came up with it, with a different strategy? It's the choice of the Christian Brothers to do this. And the former Justice, Chief Justice Frank Clark, said that on the primetime programme, that it's a choice, that they don't have to go along the, this, this litigation strategy. So he, when, when that, when that was, honour was given to him in 1997, um, the, the leadership in, in Ireland at the time, which was a John, brother, John Heenan, he was actually um, protecting a, a Christian brother at the time, who's been gone on to be convicted twice and is due to be convicted possibly again next year. Yeah. And he's going to turn out to be one of the most prolific um, abusers this country has ever seen, I, be, I believe. That's, that's a hunch I have when speaking to the victims, that, mm-hmm. that, you know. Yep. So this civic honour, as it was given to Garvey at that time, uh, they maintain it. The, the, count, the county, the town, Rahada, they maintain this honour. We talk about the litigation strategy. The litigation strategy is about a double abuse. It's the same when a lady or it goes in a rape trial and she has to appear in front and she's cross-questioned and it goes along, it goes mm. on for ages. That's a double abuse. Yeah. These victims... By by this prolonging, one victim who's actually it's interesting. He his case was in the high court last week, and the judge asked um, the leader of the Buddhist to come in because the judge was saying, "Do you really want to continue this litigation?" Yeah. So, what about your elderly members? This is just as Tony O'Connor is, uh, who yeah. asked uh, Brother Gibson, David Gibson, yeah. to come before him to yeah. talk about this yeah. legal strategy, yeah. which has been criticised in the strongest possible terms. 
by the former Chief Justice Frank Clark. Uh, and uh, uh, just to try and understand it a, a little bit better, mm. uh, we're talking about people who have been convicted of child sexual yeah, abuse. Yeah. That, uh, and then you're talking about a civil action against that person. Yeah, yeah. So if I was to take a civil action against Brother Joe Bloggs, for example, who yeah. had been convicted in a criminal court of child sexually abusing me, yeah. uh, I would actually have to take a case against him and all of the Christian brothers yeah. individually. Yeah. No, I can't just take it, I just can't sue him, in other words, on his own. Well, that's the choice of the Christian brothers. That's the choice of the order. They've decided not to put forward a nominee to take the case, and they don't let their solicitor uh, represent all the individual members. So you have to go and you'd be, you have to write summonses to all the uh, Christian brothers. Right. And they wouldn't give the addresses of the Christian brothers either. So the victims mm. had to go to court. So the court, the, the victim in the high court last week, was he was four years. He's still at the tr- trying to um, serve the summonses. Mm. And I only found out this, I was speaking to him last night. He's actually from Louth. Right. His mother's from Louth. His family's from Louth. That's just a new mm. um, aspect to this. And, and, and the high you know, court judge... Yeah. Uh, in his frustration uh, and uh, f- lack of understanding, uh, yeah. asked for Brother Gibson to come before him uh, to explain it. Uh, he, he didn't do that, uh, but no. his legal team uh, yeah. said that there wouldn't be a change in the yeah, position. that's right, yeah. yeah. And it's the same with the Mayor of Drada. There's no change in the situation as far as rescinding the, uh, the, Resi- the, the, the honour. OK, now, now, now just you know? so we'll come back uh, to Michelle Hall in a moment uh, because uh, she has been in touch. She's mm. uh, <coughs> e- emailed us to say that she'd be supporting Maeve Yor's motion, who's yeah. an independent councillor. That's to go before Let County Council uh, on Monday. Mm. Uh, and she says uh, the Labour councillors will be supporting it uh, on Monday. Uh, but the... the the Maeve Your motion on Monday is very similar, is it not? To, to the Dublin one, yeah, it is, yeah. And, and we're looking for, for, for Loud for Loud County Council to write to the brothers, to ask them to put forward... The, the brothers are entitled to... Um, and when we talk about brothers, we're talking really about the leadership here. There's really good brothers, there's elderly brothers, they've done great work in this country, they've done great work in Drada. We're not talking about that, we're talking about the leadership. And we want to write to the leaders to ask them. They're entitled to a defence Every single brother that's alleged crime is entitled to a defence, but one solicitor can look after all the order. Victims shouldn't have to be dealing with a hundred firms of solicitors. And they, they, how much does that cost? Oh, it's thousands and thousands. Of, it's it's just to serve the summonses. I'm hearing figures of fifteen to twenty thousand. Some of them are abroad as well in France. Um, and, and they're in their eighties. They're in their the, the average they, age. The feel? average age. Well, I'm sure they're not too impressed, you know, with the, with their own leaders. But it, it's a hierarchical system, though. That, you know, so I'm hearing from the inside the order that they're not really speaking out against it. It's part of their. It's to, it's to, mm. it's to be loyal to the leader. That's just the way the. Uh, yeah, we've two esteemed <coughs> bar, uh, barristers. I suppose uh, mm. uh, would be the way of uh, saying the Chief yeah. Justice uh, Frank Clark yeah. uh, and uh, Mr. Justice Tony O'Connor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who obviously don't believe this is appropriate. Yeah. Uh, but it, it continues. It's a legal loophole. Yeah. Uh, and in the prime time programme, uh, the former Chief Justice Frank Clark called on the government to yeah. shore up that legal yes. loophole yeah. to put an end to this. Yes. So that, that that's the law commissioner looking at at the moment. It's very like co- coerc- coercive control. In uh, that wasn't against the law um, up to up to the first of January two thousand and nineteen. Coercive control against a lady, or that wasn't against the law. Now it is against the law, but everyone knew before that that it was thoroughly appalling, mm. and it's not acceptable. This is not acceptable. It's not against the law at the moment, but hopefully it will be in the future. Mm. But it's up to politicians, public reps, to stand up and to be counted for victims. Um, Mayor, uh, the Mayor of Drada and the Mayor of Louth, they've been receiving um, letters in the last couple of weeks now from victims all over the country, from Italy, from, from abroad as well, UK, I think there's one from Singapore, 
from people. People are looking at this. The, the, the man out in the street mightn't see this, but the, the, the survivors from around the world are looking at Drogheda now. They're looking at Loud and they're not happy. They're not happy the way, the way the people, this this man, this victim, he's from Loud. Mm. And, and you he's met, not you, happy. You, the people from Loud are fantastic. Mm. Like, you know, like Kevin O'Doherty, the manager of drugs, like he should be the ma- he should be the main, uh, he should be winning awards for the best manager, what he's doing with mm. the football team. I, I know all about them. You know, you know there's yeah. good people mm. in Drada, but they're not being, they're not being represented. Uh, and you keep highlighting Drada because yeah. Brother Garvey was given the yeah. freedom of uh, Drada. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is a motion that will go to the County Council. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, it, the objective, maybe yours motion, yeah. will call on the council to write to the brothers in the yeah. same way Dublin City Council has written yeah. to the brothers. And to look, to put them, maybe to put one one mm. one firm of solicitors forward to do that. And I think Burley Conlon is seconding that motion. That takes courage from what I can see from my dealings with uh, with the council around here. That takes courage to be to be isolated, mm. to go outside and to, 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 to go against... You know, mm. and another group, uh, the Donor, that's a big diocese up in the north. They've written as well to uh, to, to mayor. They do fantastic work for survivors. The Donor Diocese Survivors Group, they've written as well. You, you've no idea the um, the amount of people that are looking at this. There's a guy in America who's doing um, a thesis, like a, a doctorate, I believe, and it's about how you don't deal with people, mm. victims, whistleblowers when they come forward. And he's, he wants to look at this case. Mm. You know, but you, you're here today to represent people who were abused as children yeah. uh, as the um, the one in four people in Drogheda and Loud that's who I'm representing okay. today but uh, as the letter said yeah. uh, who were orally raped who yeah. were raped uh, yeah. who were sexually assaulted yeah one man was tied up and whipped in a dungeon mm. in Westland Row in Dublin in, sco- in school right you know, it did say whipping uh, etc yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, people will remember that Scene on prime time uh, where you walked around uh, the lamp in the room. Yeah, that's uh, right. And, yeah, um, yeah, they got you to undress. Uh, I mean, it's just. A, yeah, an and I made that, that to give there. you the t- an idea yeah, of the yeah, type of yeah, people yeah, we're dealing yeah, with. Yeah. I made that um, allegation to um, before the prime time program all to this guy, Brother mm. Gibson, last August. He never reported that to them. He's mandatory reported by the Children's First Act 2015 to report that mm. to the national board and to the Gardaí. He never mm. did that. Okay. Imagine mm. in this day and age yeah. that disorder are not mandatory reporting allegations when mm. they, he's held his hands up to yeah. it. So I'm not. I'm not speaking out. Of okay. Line so now. the Christian brothers have uh, adopted this legal strategy, which is legally sound. Yeah. Uh, and we have to make that crystal yeah. clear. They're not doing anything wrong legally. It is legally sound, but it is morally questionable. Uh, the. Uh, City Council, Dublin City Council, the Lord Mayor on behalf of the Council has written to the brothers asking them to change this uh, legal strategy Uh, and Maeve Yor is putting this motion to Louth County Council on Monday uh, asking the councillors uh, to do exactly the same thing on behalf of the people of Louth and your message to the councillors this morning is to support Maeve and to embrace her I suppose because it's difficult you know it's difficult and I suppose since I first got in touch with this council in October, I've never, they've never been, they haven't told me what they can do. They've never told me what we can do. We can write to the brothers or we can contact, we can't take the freedom away from it, we can do this, it's sensitive, you know. Tell us what you can do and embrace Maeve and embrace uh, Bernie Conlon and uh, have them make sure that they have, a, I'm sure they're very nervous about Monday and because uh, it's hard to go against the grain, it's hard to go against the collective uh, thrust 
and to, to support Nave and to support her courage and I want the people of Drod and the people of Dundalk, or Dundalk and RD and the people of Loud to support Maeve Yor. She's a fantastic counsellor. She's really reached out to victims and uh, they're really, really impressed with her and she's, she, she's a flag bearer for what's happening in this county now. as far as uh, now, as far as uh, in fairness to her. Okay, know. just to be clear, uh, if... Uh, <clears throat> the motion is carried it, it will result in a, a letter coming from Louth County Council to the Christian Brothers asking them to change their legal strategy but uh, it, it will not address in any way whatsoever this question uh, of rescinding the freedom of Drogheda for Brother Garvey yeah. uh, is, is that issue over with? Well it's I'm not getting any uh, my letter last letter for, for them to reconsider that was just ignored I sent it to every councillor in Drogheda and nobody back to me. Uh, Paddy McQuillan, in fairness to him, rang me one day. He seems a decent fella. But they won't step out and they won't put it up at what, what they can do, but they could suspend it. If this happened, if this was in Dublin, and I'm not comparing, it's a different place, mm. you know. But that meeting in Dublin, the, the anger and the, you know, for, for the support of the victims, that would have been whipped off him. Whipped off him. It would have been gone. Okay. You know, and they can't do that. It's, it's, the, it's the power of, of councillors. They can give an honour and they can take it away. And this guy is proceeding, proceeded over the introduction of this legal strategy. It is a choice, but as Frank Clark says, justice de- delayed is justice denied. And Article 6 of the Convention of Human Rights gives uh, victims and all a public hearing is, is, a, is a right, a public hearing in a reasonable time. So we believe that we're against, they're against Article 6 of the, of, the, of the Article of Human Rights. And that's what, in these cases, the civil cases, the, the, defend, the lawyers are putting that forward for the victims. Okay, Damien, the discussion will continue in Dundalka on Monday at uh, the monthly meeting of Louth County Council. Uh, I think your message probably has been heard loud and clear. We'll be watching the vote uh, on Monday and we probably will return to discussing the outcome of it on Tuesday morning. But thank you for coming in to us in advance today. Thank, thank you, Michael. And maybe there might be a new mayor in, uh, in June or July and maybe we'll, we'll go again at the rescinding. Mm, so okay. I, you know, uh, thank just, you very much. Just to reiterate, uh, the existing mayor in Drogheda, Michelle Hall, has said that she will and the Labour councillors will vote in support of Mayor's motion. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you indeed. Damien O'Farrell, who is an independent councillor on Dublin City Council. Uh, he is himself uh, a victim of child abuse at the hands of the Christian Brothers and represents many other people uh, who have found themselves in the same position. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. A lot of people in touch with us today. It works better when you push up the button to be heard on the radio. A lot of people in touch with us uh, today about a variety of uh, topics. Uh, Joe Biden, obviously, one of them. Uh, Tom texting saying, what a, a collection of scroungers and wannabes who met Biden this week. Uh, showed the incompetence, the money, Joey, is uh, the message from Tom. Uh, another message uh, about uh, President Biden, who uh, is waiting to get his 99 in Mayo. The ice cream is warmer there. That's uh, John Conlon. Thanks for that. Somebody says, uh, there aren't three bells ringing during the Angelus. It's one bell ringing all of the time. Thank you indeed. Uh, I didn't mean that it was three different bells ringing. It's one bell that rings three times, then three times, then three times, and then nine times. 
that's how uh, the Angelus goes uh, if my memory serves me correctly somebody else in touch saying everybody speeds across Marley's Lane and to the Rathmullen Road in Drogheda and Jim goes on to say we want the Angelus nothing nicer than hearing church bells if we go to other countries we respect their traditions uh, another WhatsApp message from somebody who says Michael I think you should focus on the dark web regarding children and abuse when it's looked at like the church it won't compare and no one wants to accept it's real try to save children from the dark web abuse uh, it doesn't compare thank you indeed for that I think uh, we do try to concentrate on that uh, certainly uh, as much as possible uh, I'm not sure if it's the dark web or just the web uh, or if our caller means that uh, the internet is a dark place to be which it can be for children uh, it's also a very positive place for people young and old to be at times James in Knockbridge says that he would like to say that as a 21-year-old devout Roman Catholic who is more than cognizant of the harm and abuse that has been perpetrated by the church in Ireland, I observe that the constant portrayal of these subjects in the media has fed what His Holiness Pope Benedict called relativism and the subsequent rise in misguided atheism and a morality of the contemporary Ireland in which we live. Moreover, young people are being failed in the area of moral instruction for fear of their elders being seen to cling to archaic ideas that stemmed from an institution that, in spite of its flaws, has had a very positive impact in shaping our country. Thanks, James in Knockbridge, uh, for taking the time to put all of that together, send it to us and to share your views with us. Stephen Dunlear says, Michael, there's a good number of Catholics in Ireland who pause and bless themselves when the Angelus bells sound. Let's keep something for people to reflect on. The Irish identity is slowly dying. Mary says, hands off uh, the Angelus. You are really rattling my cage. Um, And by the way, why do you say every morning at the end of your show, see it tomorrow, God willing? Uh, well, it's in the hope that I wake up tomorrow, <laughs> to be honest with you, Mary. Uh, Jerry in Wilkinstown says, what is wrong with uh, people, the TDs, praying in the doll or anywhere else uh, and stop blocking the person from talking? Uh, that was when I was asking Senator Shane Castles, um, why do they pray in the doll? But somebody else said, oh, my God, Shane Castles loves the sound of his own voice and he talked all over you. Um, thank you indeed. Um, I'm not sure what Bernadette Riley meant. Uh, she's saying there's a picture of Mary and Manus working on the bog. Uh, they stop working when the Angelus bells ring. Um, thank you indeed, though. Um, I'm a little bit lost on that one, but uh, thanks uh, very much uh, for your text and for taking the time to send it to us. As always, we'd love to hear from you if you want to make comment on the programme. Our telephone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, the Irish Medical Organisation is holding its annual general meeting in uh, Kerry this uh, week. Uh, the focus, uh, they say, is on a capacity crisis, overcrowding and understaffing across health services in this country. Let's speak to Dr. Madeleine Nigali, who is a member of the IMO's GP committee. And a very good morning to you, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning, Madeleine. Uh, you're conference heard yesterday from your new president, Dr. John Cannon, that one in ten of us are are not signed up to a GP in this country. 
the capacity crisis is real in in general practice and across our hospital uh, uh, across the country. We uh, have been telling government and HSC that, that capacity is a real issue. Uh, 10% of, of patients cannot get a GP. This is absolutely uh, scandalous and it's only going to get worse and we are now looking at the fact that 500,000 more doctor visit cards are going to be allocated to uh, people across the country and while this is you know a really absolutely uh, general practice uh, would advocate for free point of access care there's been no planning there has been no there's not one extra GP on the, on the front line to uh, manage this and we are looking at colleagues who are already coming out uh, burnt out after coming out of a uh, the pandemic and now mm. are facing this uh, extra uh, issue on their doorstep and we are saying to patients this is going to absolutely change your access to GPs while it might be free access is going to be a real issue and this is this is something that GPs really are trying to get the HSC to wake up to this issue. At one time or another we all need to go to see our doctor and what happens if you don't have a doctor? It's really difficult because what happens is now people who don't have doctors are now uh, relying on the out-of-hours, which is uh, not funded, nor does it have the capacity to look after routine care, and nor should it. Uh, and uh, people then are at the, you know, uh, also then uh, present to casualty. And as we know, the casualty uh, situation is dire. Uh, people are being left in trolleys right through right through the year, not just in the winter. And during the, at the winter crisis, every year we, uh, you know, everybody wrings their hands and they how are we at this again? But now uh, that we've come out of winter, we still have people on trolleys. This isn't mm. new. We've been warning and we've been asking for capacity to be addressed. Okay. Uh, so you go to the dock and call uh, if you can get an outer of error service if you don't have a doctor. And as you say, 10% or 1 in 10 in people don't have a doctor. But many people complain when they do have a doctor because it's impossible to get an appointment. You have to wait three, four weeks and more out. And uh, this is something that causes huge stress for the patient. It causes massive stress for our admin staff who are trying to manage this at the front line. And then, of course, for ourselves, we don't want this. We want to see our patients. We want to give them timely care. Uh, We are, uh, there are 700 uh, GPs uh, at the cusp of retirement over the next three to four years, according to the ICGP figures. And we are not replacing them at the rate that we need to. And uh, a lot of um, many of my colleagues, uh, particularly uh, our, our colleagues who are single-handed practitioners, are unable to take sick leave. They're unable to take annual leave, and uh, my female colleagues are unable to take uh, maternity leave. But this can't go on. The burnout rate is um, increasing, and GPs will just uh, uh, end up taking early retirement or going part time. It's going to further mm. uh, exacerbate the crisis. What happened? Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, there's an increase in the population and fewer doctors. But how did this happen? Uh, sure, a lot of people like me can remember uh, a time when you rang the doctor and the doctor uh, grabbed his doctor's bag, and there were generally men then, and came to visit. That's right. And I remember that time, though, 20 years ago, when uh, we were able to provide that level of care. Care has changed completely. The complexity of, of patients' presentations now and patient care is uh, absolutely um, 
almost unrecognisable to what it was 30 years ago. Thankfully, we are living longer, but with that comes a burden of uh, disease and uh, morbidity. And so that, so our consultations are far more complex and take longer. Also, um, you know, GPs in the past would have uh, been very often uh, uh, male and have somebody at home looking after um, the household and, and the ch- children's needs. But now, you know, we have a lot more women in general practice who uh, inconveniently become pregnant and uh, have babies and have okay. to uh, look after them. Mm. But also we know that from our survey in the IMO uh, last year that our, our female uh, colleagues are also much more likely to have to look after elderly parents. So the work, the workplace uh, planning has to reflect this. So mm. this, is no, this is not a surprise. We've known that there's been a lot more women in medicine and that we have to accommodate uh, the change in that demographic. Uh, and there has been no planning. And now there, uh, there's going to be f- uh, far more uh, people looking for care because uh, of the new 500,000 plus doctor visit cards mm. going to. Uh, we, ha- we don't seem to have learned anything from the That end. will make it worse, will it? Because people it will, will make it worse. Naturally, if you remove a financial barrier, mm. which of course there should not be a financial barrier to receiving uh, medical care, absolutely. Mm. But you can't then uh, provi- to provide this care without putting uh, structures in place so that uh, other care is not displaced. So there's, there is, is there not a prevention is better than cure argument, though? Because if you go to the doctor with a, a lot of conditions in the early stages, uh, they become less complicated uh, and uh, you'll need fewer visits overall. Well, that's why the chronic disease management has been um, a massive improvement, even though that's not a prevention. But what we're doing is we're getting in early, uh, looking after people with diabetes, looking after people with uh, uh, skin and heart disease or, or heart disease, uh, heart failure, um, lung disease. And we are getting in there and, you know, that has been a really great thing for general practice. That was planned for, that was funded. Mm. We need more of that. But, you know, uh, uh, allowing, um, uh, you know, government policy that will certainly get votes. But what we're saying is, remember what we're saying now, this will, will not imp- this will exacerbate access there's no point in having free access if you can't free access if you can't actually physically see your doctor. Okay, well, uh, on the gender divide, forty-seven uh, percent of doctors in the country are women. Fifty-three uh, percent are men. Uh, the chief executive of uh, the Medical Council uh, told your conference yesterday that there's twenty-one thousand six hundred and eighty doctors on the register. That's uh, from the twenty twenty-one. Uh, figures and uh, just under 85% of them are clinically active. Uh, I'm not sure what that means. Uh, Maybe you you could explain to us uh, what it does mean uh, if there's 21,680 doctors in the country and that's not enough. How many do we need? Well, certainly at the moment we have uh, almost 900 uh, consultant posts that are are not filled. uh, 400 plus are filled by um, temporary uh, staff and 400 are unfilled. So, you know, that is a huge problem. We Mm. need to get more consultants back. We need uh, to make that uh, their working conditions 
you know, something that they will come back. Very often it's not about how much they're being paid, it's about how much they're being respected and how and if they can get time off, if they're able mm. to spend time with their families. Well, I see just this morning a government-appointed task force is recommending 2,000 extra hospital consultants as well as 1,000 junior doctors. That's 3,000 consultants. Yeah, well, and also the figures the IMO would say that we need 5,000 um, extra beds. That's including acute beds, step-down beds, rehab, and uh, that that is something that is urgent and is needed, as, uh, really, really needed as soon as possible. I'm not sure that, uh, you know, when we saw what happened in COVID and people, uh, services could be turned around very, very quickly, we need that sense of urgency and that sense of urgency does not seem to be there. I have, I and all of my uh, GP colleagues have had come through a really difficult winter period where we could not uh, really access hospital care for people who needed it. They were elderly people were on trolleys uh, for a number of, for, for, you know, over 24, 36 hours not able to access care and that's not because uh, our hospital colleagues and hospital staff hadn't, didn't you know couldn't mm. didn't want to provide it there just aren't enough of them the rate of burnout with our hospital staff and that's across the board nurses and healthcare other allied healthcare professionals are is enormous and we can, i really do not want to face another winter where we have to uh, prov- have to coax our elderly patients to go to hospital mm. because they're right. They they are facing into a very difficult scenario if okay. they end up there. Okay, we've run out of time, Doctor, but thank you indeed uh, for your time and for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. That's uh, Dr. Madeleine Nigali, who is a member of uh, the Irish Medical Organisation's GP Committee and brings us uh, to the end of our programme for today. Maggie McGuire Research, Chris Murray was in the control tower. I, Michael, God willing, will see you for our next programme tomorrow morning. Oh, Monday morning. <laughs> beg your pardon. At 9 a.m. on LMFM. Good morning. Bye bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now Michael at LMFM.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.